0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. It might surprise you to know that when Christ came, there was actually a worldwide, at least in the Western world, hopeful anticipation of a soon-coming king who would usher in a golden age. It wasn't just the Jews who believed this either. There were several Roman and Greek authors who wrote about such a thing. They believed this king would come from the east and and even some as specifically as Judea, which is where the Christ was born. The world often lives either in glorious times like classical Greece or the Tong Dynasty or Paris in the Age of Enlightenment, or in violent times like the fall of Rome, the Crusades, or the waves of the Black Death that came through Europe, or the World Wars. But there are other times as well, times of hope and optimism, not that things are so perfect, but there is this hope that things will get better soon. The worst of the hard times is over, and we're entering not a golden age, but certainly a silver age. You know, it's not the Pax Romana or the time of the Caesars, but the Republic, when nothing could hold back the progress of uh, the tide of progress. Not the Enlightenment or the modern era, but the early Renaissance. Not 1957, but 1946, when the, the war was over, at least in Europe, and rebuild, rebuilding and normal life could resume, at least for the U.S. and Europe. I would love to live in such times when there's this unity of cultural goals, goals in national and individual development. For all the oppression in Judea around the time of Christ, the sense of hope among the common people was still strong enough for many to feel driven to usher in the time of the Messiah. Many were armed and ready for a war that they knew they would win. Others were becoming very pious. And then one day some visitors showed up. Let's read here in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. I wonder if disturbed is the best way to describe it. I'm sure Herod was quite disturbed. I'm sure others were giddy. There is, this, is, this is a passage you hear a lot around Christmas time. And remember, Matthew is writing to a largely Jewish audience, so he references Herod's time as king. In the Luke passage, and remember, he's writing to a largely Gentile audience in Luke, he says it was in the time of Caesar Augustus. So he refer, refers to the bigger ruler, the ruler of the whole world, while Matthew refers to the one who's calling the shots in Judea, the one hated most of all, uh, Herod. Herod. And these Magi, who were these Magi? Well, for those of you who are grammarly inclined, Magi is actually plural. Magus is the singular. Uh, There's an individual in the book of Acts called Simon Magus. Simon Magus, or Simon the Magus, was a a sorcerer who became a Christian, but then he tried to buy the power to uh, fill people with the Holy Spirit from Peter, and he was summarily rebuked for it. Magi then are astrologers, sorcerers, and fortune tellers these probably came from babylon or persia the medes and the persians the, the medes and the persians were the most powerful folks in the area at the close of the old testament and the magi were the spiritual leaders of those ancient easterners the ones that daniel perhaps did battle with they had a significant amount of power in those days uh, but in the days of the roman empire when the power of the east was gone They really had less power. They were more just fortune tellers or some sort of shamans. Simon Magus was a Samaritan whose family had probably returned from Assyria or Babylon and had been influenced by the pagans while they were in captivity in the Old Testament times. But the pagans didn't influence the Jews as much as the Jews influenced the pagans, it seemed. How would the Persians and Medes know about a coming Jewish Messiah? When they saw this star, they knew how to interpret it. How? I think you have people like Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, and other Old Testament priests who propagated Judaism in Babylon and Persia. You know, not every Jew returned from captivity. Some stayed there, and their culture and beliefs ended up being known among the surrounding peoples. The most interesting to me, though, about the Magi is that, in in my mind, God violated a part of the law of Moses in order to reach out to them. Remember, a few weeks ago in my prayer series, Uh, They were told, the Jews were told, you are not supposed to study the stars or omens in order to tell the future. Let God guide your life. But when it was time for the Messiah to be born, God put a sign in the heavens for the astrologers to see. God called pagans to himself using pagan methods. Amazing. The heavens declared the glory of the Lord and announced the Savior's birth. But the Jews didn't recognize it. Good. They shouldn't have been reading the stars to know what God was doing. But the pagans did and were drawn to come worship. How wonderful. You never know how God will draw people. I remember hearing a pastor in Vermont say that God used an excommunicated Jehovah's Witness to save an atheist in their town who ended up being the strongest elder in their church. And what he said was, you can't make that a church growth strategy, but God can. Christ came to to seek and save the lost. In Romans, Paul said that the the salvation found in Christ is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And the Christmas story bears witness to that. The first people God announced his salvation to were the overlooked Jewish shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them. The second group were the Magi. Gentiles, pagans, who looked to the stars to see what God was doing or what the gods were doing. And God, the highest God, the God of glory, told them. And then they showed up, and all the news that day was that some outsiders, Gentiles, from a thousand miles away, had showed up because the sky told them the Messiah was there. Breaking news, and Herod is hoping it's fake news, Everyone else is hoping it's good news. Let's keep reading. When he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Two odd things here to notice. Herod is a believer. He doesn't scoff. He doesn't think the Messiah isn't coming. He doesn't think it's all just the stuff of myth or legend. He knows it's true. Nobody in Judea studies the stars because you're not supposed to, but when someone shows up and says that the stars told them Herod didn't roll his eyes, he took action. The religious leaders hate Herod, but they come when summoned. They'd better. Herod is ruthless. Herod is probably the worst despot in the whole Bible. He's so paranoid to secure his own power that he even kills his children. Most despots do everything they can to secure power for themselves and for their children after them, but Herod only cares about his own power. He's truly remarkable, and the religious leaders tell him the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, just like Luke and Matthew both record. This is a prophecy, unlike the one we quoted last week. This is an obvious messianic criteria that Jesus met. Some other prophecies weren't obvious at the time they were given, but this one was. So Herod says, okay, Go find him, and I'll go worship him too, which we all know is a lie, but the Magi didn't know any better. They don't know that Herod is not a true Jew or a true, true believer. Why is Herod not a true Jew? He's an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. The Edomites and the Jews have very bad blood between them. They aren't just enemies, they are family enemies. The bad blood is worse because they share blood kinship. Herod observes some of the Jewish law, for example, the food laws. But he'd never really be one of them. And he was so ruthless that history records that Caesar Augustus Augustus once said of Herod, I'd rather be his pig than his son. Why? He wouldn't eat pork, but he killed his own sons on more than one occasion. The other odd thing to me is that he didn't send a spy to find them. These guys were quite conspicuous. I guess you didn't need to send a spy. Just ask around. Where did the guys on the camels go? Well, at any rate, Herod trusted that they would come back and report to him where the child was. But that's not what happened. Let's keep reading. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's tiring to travel a thousand miles by car or even by airplane these days. A day worth of traveling can exhaust you. Two days of driving is hard. A year's worth would be awful. I can imagine how overjoyed they were for their travel, their pilgrimage, and their quest to be fulfilled. It's not just travel, it's finding the will of God. It's presenting a gift to the next and greatest ruler of the world. And you'll notice that your nativity scene has it wrong. They weren't in a stable at this point. They were in a house setting up a new life. From the next part of our passage, it sounds like Jesus may have been two years old at this point. It's just as well that they stayed in Bethlehem for a while. If they'd returned to Nazareth right away with a baby, people might have started to do the math and gossip about how quickly Mary gave birth. And I can't imagine being Joseph and Mary and seeing foreigners come to the house and give your baby the kinds of gifts reserved for the wealthy and powerful. What if people came to your house and gave your toddler a box of gold? What if they gave him or her precious worship materials What if they gave them perfumes, odd gifts for a child of common class? They'd be hard to hide in the house, too, I reckon. No matter. They'll be leaving soon anyway. The Magi didn't stick around long, and neither did Mary or Joseph. Joseph, uh, Herod, was about to unleash his fury, and the Holy Family needed to get out of town. Let's keep reading. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And so after a wonderful day of receiving gifts and wondering once more just what God is going to do with this child and after a day of having more for Mary to ponder in her heart and after knowing that with this gold they can survive for many years there just seems uh, and there just seems like safety security God's provision and joy all around Joseph goes to bed a confident man but then suddenly in the middle of the night he awakens from a restful sleep and says Mary Mary, get up. Pack a few things. we got to go. What's going on, Joseph? I had another dream. The same angels, the same voice, giving me more instructions. Mary, we have to go. We have to go now. Why? What's happening? You don't want to know. Herod is coming. Where are we going, Joseph? Back to Nazareth? No. The angel said, go to Egypt. Now quickly, get Jesus and James, and I'll go get the donkey. I include James in there because... I think it's possible that they had other children by this point. So a small family gets up and leaves town in the middle of the night. They've never been to Egypt, and travel is difficult and dangerous, but obviously less dangerous than Bethlehem is about to be. That last paragraph is from the book of Jeremiah. Who was Rachel? Rachel was Jacob's wife. As Jacob is the father of all Israel, then Rachel is sort of the mother of all Israel. She wasn't actually the mother of most of the tribes, only two really, but... She was the favorite wife, and so she represents the parentage of Israel like Sarah would to Abraham's wife. She was buried, apparently, uh, in Ramah. And so from her tomb, uh, she's crying out because she knows what's going on outside. The Old Testament fulfillment of this passage is when the Babylonians came through and killed so many. For the New Testament, Matthew is saying in Bethlehem, it was just that sad of a day. Herod, worse than the Babylonians, came through and killed not everyone, only the most precious, the babies and the boy babies. His paranoia made him do the most wicked thing of all. That's where power, greed, and hate and fear take you. And what comfort is there for the women of Bethlehem? These babies gave their life to save Jesus in this passage, but in a few years he'll return the favor, even to a greater degree. Let's keep reading. and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There was actually a huge Jewish population in Egypt at this time. So I would imagine that um, that was the place where, in, in Egypt, in the city of Alexandria is what I should say. So I would imagine that that was the place where Mary and Joseph settled. That's where I'd, I'd have gone. They could blend in with their own people and live a very Jewish life in a very foreign land. There was a city called Alexandria, which had a huge library at the time, and a, and a very famous Jewish theologian named Philo lived there too. Philo spoke about the Logos of God, or the Word of God, and God's, as God's creative power. Later, John the Apostle called Jesus the Logos, or the Word, in John chapter 1, and says that through Jesus, God created the world. So Jesus is the, the creative power of God. And I just wonder if Jesus ever sat outside the synagogue hearing Philo teach about a concept, not knowing that the very doctrine he was preaching about was embodied in a boy sitting within earshot. How long did the family of Jesus live there? From what we know about the reigns of of the Herods, probably less than 10 years, maybe only a couple of years. Um, Archelaus didn't rule for long. He was just as ruthless as his father, and Rome actually deposed him because of his violence. And many people fled to Galilee from Judah because they were afraid of him. Galilee was ruled by another one of Herod's sons, but he was, say, one rung down on the evil ladder from his father and Archelaus, his brother. I count four dreams that Joseph had in this time. God was speaking to him. The world was out to get his wife and son, and he was the one God was using in all this to secure the holy family. I'm sure he never expected to leave his native Galilee except to go sacrifice in Jerusalem, but when you get picked to do some special ministry for God, you have no idea where he'll take you. Besides just reading and explaining the story to you, I want to point out the global reach and vision of God. God had stirred the whole Roman world with the knowledge that a new and great king was coming. God made Herod an example for why we need a heavenly king instead of an earthly king. God made sure the ancient Babylonians or Persians were notified by a star when the Christ was born. God even let the Egyptians sample the goodness of the boy Jesus while he was there and gave a Jewish theologian uh, who may have even crossed Jesus' path insight into who he was, sort of preparing everyone for who this was new Messiah, this person, this new work of God is. And there's a hilltop outside of Nazareth where on a clear day you can see the Mediterranean with its ships going to every place in the Western world. There are roads below that hill with garrisons of soldiers and caravans of traders traveling from east to west and north to south. Jesus as a young boy has already seen much of the world around him. He knows that these roads and these ships have brought people to him to worship already, and in a few years, they will also take the testimony of his life, his teachings, his death and resurrection to every part of the world. The life and message of Jesus are global in scope. The scope of the gospel is global for us too. We support immigrant churches in Portland and beyond full of people who have come here from the far reaches of the world. We support missionaries who work in Asia and the Caucasus Mountains and southern Russia and even to the scattered people of Israel. A couple of you even serve the Iraqis here, who live here in Augusta, and I hope we always expand our global impact as we are able. But the scope of our outreach is local, too. There's a bridge down the hill Where you can see Gardner, Randolph, Chelsea, Pittston, and Farmingdale all from standing in one place. Just beyond the river bend is South Gardner and beyond that Richmond. And just beyond the river bend to the north is Hollowell and beyond that Augusta. And we draw worshipers from all of these towns right here to Faith Christian Church. And I hope you always know that you are being sent from here as missionaries to those towns where you live. Your testimony of your belief and the transma- trans- transformation you have experienced in Jesus Christ cannot be hidden away. May God give you a dream of where you ought to go and with whom you ought to share this great good news that we have. Jesus is just too good of a story to keep to yourself. Go tell it on the mountain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for uh, protecting Mary and Joseph for For protecting the gospel message it has endured so long. And Lord, we thank you that you reached out to the people of Israel from whom Jesus came. And we thank you that you reached out to those well beyond the borders of Israel. To Babylon, Persia, Egypt. uh, These countries that had been enemies of Israel so many years. And yet your gospel, your, your intention, your will was to reach out to them as well. Help us, Lord be people who reach out locally and globally and promote the message, propagate the message, proclaim the message that there is good news in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.